What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Built Different Podcast. My name is Zach Clinton. I'll be your host. And as we continue to grow, I'll have friends joining me each week to interview some of the leading experts in the fields of motivational speaking, mental health, ministry, and even sports. Our goal is to instill hope, encouragement, and motivation in and through your life today. And our prayer is that after each episode, you'd be more equipped and encouraged to look, love, and live more like Christ from the inside out. That's our definition of what it means to be built different. So I hope you're ready. You better buckle up. Let's roll. What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to this week's edition of the Built Different Podcast. I'll be your host, Zach Clinton. And today we are so excited to be joined by a renowned and highly sought after author, speaker, podcaster, and retreat host who just so happens to be the wife of our guest from last week's episode, Miss Rebecca Lyons. I'm telling you guys, this is a conversation that really excites me as we'll be unpacking Rebecca's newest book, Building a Resilient Life, How Adversity Awakens Strength, Hope, and Meaning. And in today's conversation, Rebecca will share with us what she believes are the five most important ingredients to building a resilient life, a conversation you do not want to miss. But before we get there, I wanted to remind our listeners that this podcast is the official podcast of the American Association of Christian Counselors. Here at the AACC, we are committed to encouraging, strengthening, Strengthening and serving Christian mental health professionals, including licensed psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, psychotherapists, marriage and family therapists, addiction counselors and counselors, as well as Christian life and mental health coaches, pastors, lay counselors, and the community at large. Our goal is to equip those in the helping profession with research-based biopsychosocial knowledge and spiritual truths to aid in counseling and ministering to those who seek assistance in achieving mental wellness, personal wholeness, interpersonal competence, and spiritual maturity. In addition, the AACC is on a mission to help the church worldwide become more caring and mental health friendly as we seek the champion for spiritual practices and spirituality within mental health care. If you're interested in being further educated, equipped, and encouraged on how you can better find help, hope, and encouragement for yourself or others in the midst of challenging and difficult times, be sure to visit our website at www.aacc.com. Net. My friends, getting back to today's show, though, a little more formal introduction for our incredible guest today. Rebecca Lyons is a national speaker and best-selling author of Building a Resilient Life, How Adversity Awakens Strength, Hope, and Meaning, A Surrendered Yes, 52 Devotions to Let Go and Live Free, Rhythms of Renewal, Trading Stress and Anxiety for a Life of Peace and Purpose, You Are Free, Be Who You Already Are, and lastly, Free Fall to Fly a breathtaking journey toward a life of meaning. An old soul with a contemporary, honest voice, Rebecca reveals her own battles to overcome anxiety, panic disorder, and depression, and invites others to discover and boldly pursue their God-given purpose. Alongside her husband, Gabe, who we had on the podcast last week, Rebecca finds joy in raising four children, two of whom have Down syndrome. And her work has been featured on Today, Good Morning America, CNN, Fox, Parade, Sirius XM, Huffington Post, Hallmark Home and Family, and many, many more. My friends, I believe, you know, there's never a bad time to focus on building our resilient skills in this life, especially when we get to glean from the wealth of wisdom, knowledge, and personal experience an expert like Rebecca has on such a pivotal topic. So buckle up and get ready to receive what God has prepared for you today and help me welcome our friend, Miss Rebecca Lyons. Hey, Rebecca, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh my goodness. I'm so 
Happy to be with you. I am so excited to have you on. We had you on just about a year and a half ago now to dive wow. into one of your um, bestsellers. Your book was titled Rhythms of Renewal. And now today we're going to be unpacking a topic uh, that I'm so excited about, one that we share a common passion in, which is that of resilience. In your new book titled Building a Resilient Life, How Adversity Awakens Strength, Hope, and Meaning. Rebecca, up front, I'm just interested, when did this kind of topic of resilience actually become at the forefront of your mind and something you wanted to dive into? Well, uh, 2020 was great time to think about things like this, right? Yeah. We're all at home, sitting around, feeling weak, and we really aren't having to do a whole lot, but sit at home. And I realized that I wanted to study resilience. I wanted my kids to learn more about resilience. You know, everything just happened so abruptly in March mm-hmm. of 2020. And by May, I just was thinking a lot about resilience. And why was it such a struggle for everyone? Because it, when you study wars in the past, mental health would rise, actually, because people had some level of agency, they had some level of unity, uh, and uh, some kind of game plan. Well, we didn't have any of those things in 2020. We just knew things were bad, and we were told to sit on our hands and be home and isolate and do nothing, and the brain is not made to do nothing, to not actually face some form of adversity and do it with people. So anyways, I started studying resilience in that season because I realized that not just our kids not knowing what was coming at them, that even myself, the more I read and researched and studied, I thought all of us need this message of resilience. That's right. You know, resilience is something, again, that has fascinated me. It's something I'm kind of doing a lot of my research on in terms of my dissertation and my doctoral journey. And so as I continue to have unpacked it, I've recognized there may not be a concrete definition, although there seems to be a common theme, which is that positive adaptation in the presence of adversity. As you kind of immersed yourself in the literature and the research, you dove into this topic. I'm interested, what are some of the core tenets, just some different things that you really found out that maybe fascinated you about resilience in the first place? Yeah, so the Latin uh, definition of resilience in the 1600s, right when it first came on the scene as a word, was resilier, and that mean, meant to recoil or rebound. And so mm. that's where this popular culture term of bouncing back came from. But then in the 1800s, they added another version of a definition. I love it when there's one definition, and then a couple hundred years later, people right. are like, let's add a second definition. And that was to resume the original uh position after a season of compression or bending. And that felt more true to COVID or it feels more true, honestly, to this generational moment that we've all been compressed and crushed for a season without an end date. And that's actually where we really have to find, go deep with a holy resilience because it's not just a bouncing back from hard things. It's actually living with the tension of hard things all the time and knowing that you're not going to be destroyed by it. But instead, you're going to use that, that adversity to awaken something that you've been lacking. Maybe it's greater faith greater strength, greater community, greater dreams, so that you can find your legs to stand back up again. And I believe that's a holy resilience. I like that idea because Dr. Kathy Cook, who's done a lot of research on the topic as well, she said, just like you, it kind of is like a language shift away from just bouncing back into more severe cases, especially where maybe the language shifts to just simply coming back. It's just simply that process yeah. of progress, development, growth, just as you mentioned there. You know, I love your book, though, Rebecca, because you talk about these five rules of resilience. And what I wanted to do today is just give you the opportunity to kind of share a little bit more about each of those rules for our listeners and viewers, just so they can 
kind of gain the wealth of knowledge and wisdom and experience you've accumulated throughout this journey as well. The first one, though, first rule you have identified is naming the pain. Rebecca, help us understand why is this the first step? Why and why is it so crucial, not just for resilience, but also for like the healing journey as well? Right. Well, if you go to the doctor and you say, I need you to help me, I'm in a lot of pain. The doctor, the first thing they will ask you is, where does it hurt? Mm. And you could just say, I don't really want to tell you. I just feel pain and I need you to fix this. And the problem is, is if you can't isolate the pain or you can't isolate exactly what that symptom feels like or what are, the doctor is going to get as specific as possible before you can just do this broad brush of like, fix me. And I, um, I was inspired really around this idea of a resilience in 2 Corinthians 4, where it says in 4.8, we're pressed and crushed, but we're not destroyed. We're mm. perplexed, but we're not given to despair. Why? Because we carry this light shining in our hearts, and that is why we never give up. That's kind of the paraphrase of all those verses in the latter part of 2 Corinthians 4. And so what I realized, the pain is that we're pressed and crushed. Yeah. Right. But the, but the hope is that we will have the equipping that we need to, to not be destroyed. That, that whatever this distress moment is, that we see it in light of eternity. It's this, I, I define resilience as this light and momentary affliction, right? That's how Jesus says, in this world you have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. So it's this, this, this momentary moment that might span decades. Let's be honest. Like yeah. the world is broken. There is pain and the pain will recur in different ways. Right. But what it does do is it, when we name it, it offers the, us the power to endure and emerge. And so I think naming the pain needed to be first because this whole idea of like, where is it hurting? Where is it broken? Um, is kind of like 101 for counseling, as you know. Like if you can identify, if you can be vocal about something that is hard, you're on your road to recovery. If you can tell the truth of what is broken in your life, then you are inviting somebody in to sit with you, to hold space for you, to um, maybe make the power of that shame over that lie um, released. And so name the pain for me was so much understanding my own shame going back into the ways in which my patterns in my brain would retreat and hide when I felt overpowered or misunderstood. Um, and so I tell stories about that in the book and that first name, the pain, but it was when I got loud with Gabe and I just said, I'm broken and I'm afraid I'll never change. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was like my big, deep, dark secret that I've somehow carried into my forties. And my husband's response was, we're all broken. You're just more aware of it. Mm, <laughs> so that kind of like poked the air out of the balloon. I was like, oh, I thought this was my big, deep, dark secret that I'm the only broken human who's somehow preaching the word of God and writing books. Um, and, and he's like, no, no, no. Like, <laughs> and honestly, that was like just this sweet kindness of God, uh, speaking through my husband in that moment to go, Hey, this is why you have me. This is why you have your husband. This is why you have your family. This is, this is what, how I want you to lead actually as you minister, lead with vulnerability. You're going to find there's a lot of people that feel just like you and talk about the ways in which that imposter syndrome or, or the comparison trap can actually thwart honestly, what God has invited you into to be a minister of the gospel from a place where the truth sets you free. And so if you haven't encountered that in your own life in such a deep way, it's going to 
be harder to talk about with empathy for somebody else, but obviously the Lord, um, we always teach what we must learn. And, and so that, that became the first rule. Name the pain, invite people in, and then begin to engage in a rhythm of confession. This wasn't a one and done. Now I name so much pain <laughs> that I'm kind of a chronic oversharer, but I've learned with discretion who to tell what to, but to know that there's nothing that goes, uh, hidden or um, under the rug, uh, whether it's in my marriage, whether it's my relationship with the Lord, um, my family, my friends, there, God has given me comfort because shame no longer has a hold to just tell mm. the truth of his redemption in my life. Mm. It's so good because like you're saying, though, we live in a culture and society that almost equates brokenness with embarrassment, which yeah. then fosters that sense of hiddenness or shame. If you really knew me, if you really knew what I went through, the decisions, the thoughts I had behind closed doors, right? You wouldn't love me. You wouldn't accept me. But that's the exact. That's why the gospel is here, right? It's that of friendship. It's that of love. It's that of relationship, which lets you know you can be fully seen and fully known yet fully loved. So I love yeah. that. Name the pain. The second rule of resilience then is shifting the narrative. So I'm interested, Rebecca, help us understand what this narrative um, and kind of the shift can and what it should look like and actually order for us to experience the freedom then that maybe shame says holds us in bondage. Yeah, I think shifting the narrative helps us understand the difference between conviction and condemnation. Mm. So name the pain, I was living under condemnation. That wasn't just that I did something wrong, it was that I am something wrong. Whereas the conviction of the Lord is very much going, hey, the Lord corrects those he loves. It's never condemnation, but always invitation. And what God is trying to do is keep us from hiding, like Adam and Eve in the garden, where he sees them right after the fruit is eaten, goes, where are you? Well, they were naked and afraid and full of shame, so they hid. And and he's always trying to restore relationship in shifting the narrative, right? Just to say, hey, those things that you're feeling, I took for you. I took on your behalf. They don't have a power over you anymore. They don't have a hold on you. And it's rerouting my identity in Christ. It's very much informed by my life of abiding, that when I fix my gaze on Jesus and stop looking at the world around me or all the places in which I'm dropping the balls, but going, God, you tell me that I am your friend, that I am loved by you, that I'm chosen and appointed and beloved and set apart, and that you have... um a desire just to be with me. You're not even asking me to do all these things for you. You're actually just inviting me to join you or uh, so that we can be in communion because you like me. And sometimes I think growing up in the church, we think so much of our relationship is about doing for God so that he's pleased with us. But really what he's inviting us into is being with him in all things and knowing that the joy of discipleship is what I'm doing with you right now. It's it's having this conversation about the goodness of God and being one who bears testimony in my life, um, in, whether words or in actions of like how is transforming power is working out today. It, it's not this idea of a destination where I'm like 10 years from now, I'm going to be like, look at all the great things that, that I either aspire to do for God or did for God, but more going, no, right now is actually the center of his will because every day where he invites me to join him, this witness is so much about shifting the narrative away from this distant future to this very present moment that God is here. He's with me. I am safe in his arms. I'm beloved in his sight and that I want to give my life to just being close to him. 
Mm, it's so good because it reminds me of that idea of sustaining grace that God never promised the absence of pain in this life, but He always promises His presence in the midst of our pain. Yeah. And I kind of, sh- I kind of say it this way. You say shift the narrative. I always say like perspective steers potential, right? So yeah. when I understand James one, two to four, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith goes on to produce perseverance. So let perseverance finish that race so it can be mature, complete, lacking nothing, right? That's the goal in all of this is that we don't consider it joy because of the pain that we may be going through, but we can consider it joy because of what that pain can produce. And when we understand that truth, that's when Mm -hmm. that narrative begins to shift in our own lives. Yeah, and what it's producing even now, right? It's not about, I think so often we're like, it's going to prepare me for tomorrow or next week. It's like, no, it's actually producing a joy right now. And I think if we live more in the present moment with the Lord, Mm -hmm. like step by step, day by day, moment by moment, we get the joy of encountering him, whether there's, you know, he says, I've learned the secret of being content, whether in plenty or in lack, whether in, in suffering or hardship or celebration, this idea that I've learned the secret to being content, it's what? Then I get to be with God yeah. in all of it, in all of it. And then all of a sudden that shifting of a narrative isn't like in the past. It's not in the future. It's right now, God, you're here and you are my peace. You're my strength. You're my comfort. You're my help. You're my hope. Mm. And when we understand that God is in our midst, even in the midst of the most trying times, then we can embrace rule number three, which is embracing adversity. When one of probably the most difficult moments of my life, I came across an article which kind of painted this picture, this image of the Colorado Rockies and in comes this massive storm. And when all of the other animals are running away, trying to outrun their storm or outrun their pain in a sense, one animal turns the direction and runs into the storm, which is that of the buffalo. So something I love reminding people is that we can't outrun our pain, right? But we can do everything we can to outlast it. Rebecca, help our listeners understand how and what you mean by embracing the pain and adversity. Mm. Well, just when it comes, you don't run from it, you turn towards it. Because if you run from it, it grows, especially fear. When you encounter fear and something is hard, if you avoid it, it grows. And so my history was panic attacks on airplanes. And then all of a sudden, God met me after a season of struggle, about 18 months, and experience, I experienced his perfect peace, his supernatural peace that actually brought me into a healing journey. And I didn't have another panic attack for seven years. But what I found is that Instead of that, God would put me on a plane every week (laughs) to talk about the rescue of God. And this idea here is that his presence, uh, what I would have avoided, I would have just been like, I don't want to go on planes ever again because I like my life uh, to not be full of anxiety. (laughs) And God's going, no, I'm going to be with you on these planes and we're going to rewire your brain. We're going to retrain your brain. So that this old place of panic is now a sanctuary in the sky. And so I kind of had this sacred rhythm before I would get on a plane of like making sure I had worship on cue. I had 30 verses for anxiety that I downloaded from my website. I had um, the scriptures that I was going to just read through and meditate on while I was in the air. And just it became this abiding, again, another place of abiding in the present moment with God right then. And it was because I was so desperate for his presence to keep ha- from having a panic attack that I was like, all of a sudden, there was a moment one time where panic did roll through my body. But because I was so fixed on God and I just kept saying, Jesus, Jesus, through the whole thing, within about eight minutes, it had rolled. I mean, I'm talking heart rate in the 160s to the 180s, like acute 
onset of panic. It rolled through my body and I was still stuck in that same situation for the next 45 minutes and I was perfectly at peace. And I think it was like the Lord was trying to remind me, I don't promise fear won't come knocking, but I always promise a way of escape that you'll be able to bear it. And his way of escape is him himself. That he is our refuge. He is our fortress. He is our help. And so I can tuck myself in his wing, even in a situation that I can't avoid or escape, because I know that he's my help and he's going to, with his presence, help me be able to bear it. And so you can, you can play this out in any scenario in your life. Maybe you have conflict with your spouse or you have a child who's wayward and rebellious, or you somehow have lost a best friend. Somehow they said you were too much or not enough. Whatever that trial is that you've had to endure, God wants to get right in the middle of that moment. Mm. He wants to get in the middle of that relationship, the middle of the place that triggers you to those extreme places of survival and go, let me rewire and reorder your peace, your, your focus, your strength, your healing and your freedom. And you might actually have full reconciliation with those people whether or not they ask for it, because you're only responsible for how you respond to them. You're not responsible for their actions, but you get to actually come towards that adversity from a place of perfect peace. And that can only come when you're kept and held by God, who is our Prince of Peace. Mm. I believe that God loves using our moments of powerlessness to draw us closer to and to reveal the character of his heart. Like you said, when we abide at his feet, I mean, something powerful happens because then it transitions into the fourth rule of resilience that you mentioned, where we begin to to make meaning in the midst of our painful times. Rebecca, what do you mean by that? But also, how do our listeners and our viewers, how do they begin to find purpose in the midst of their pain and actually cling to and believe the old cliche that God never wastes a wound? How do we do that? Well, honestly, um, I think about this idea of calling and what God's invited us into. And all it says in Psalm 139 that all of our days were written and planned before one of them began. And so the Lord even knew in when I was in my mother's womb that at, at 26, I'd have a son with special needs mm-hmm. and that that would send me into this spiral for about a year. And God also knew that he would draw so close to me in that spiral that my faith would actually be ignited, not destroyed. It actually would like go on fire in ways that it never really had in the first 20 years I call myself a Christian because the adversity itself just brought me to the feet of Jesus. He also knew a decade later we'd move to New York and that I would be like gripped in claustrophobia from that first trauma a year, a decade prior and that I would have panic disorder. And he knew even then that he would rescue me and that he'd be there for me. And all of a sudden it, while all that was happening, he also knit me with my personality and my gifting and my uh, a desire to communicate, apparently, and sometimes even chronically overshare. And um, this idea of calling is where your talents and burdens collide. And making meaning is very much us just cultivating and tending to the destiny that God appointed in our womb and also the birthright gifts that he gave us. And so it's not burying those talents. It's actually cultivating them and going to school and reading books and, you know, just journaling. I never 
envisioned writing or speaking. I don't know. I, I don't know why. My parents were both teachers and I said, I'm not going to be a teacher because I only <laughs> saw it in one way. Right. And then somebody once was like, you're a really good teacher. I'm like, no, I'm not a teacher. Like, um, that's actually what you do for a living now. <laughs> so I just didn't see it in the way God did. But, but to God, it was very clear. And I think making meaning is so much about how your pain does become purpose. Yes. You find that when um, uh, Revelation twelve eleven says those who uh, the enemy is bound by two things, Christ's blood and our testimony, because they didn't love their lives more than death. This idea of God is so glorified in those struggles that you walk through because he showed up time and time again and you became a different human. You became transformed through those horrible things that actually brought you closer to God and almost more crystallized in what you were, you were made for, right? Um, right. and so when you do those things now and you tell those stories or you, or you walk the road that you never asked for, quite frankly, uh, God, his glory is on display. Mm. And so making meaning to me is a, the reason why I use the word make is that you don't just get to sit out and yeah. watch your calling from the bench. Mm. You have to get up and say, God, here am I, use me. Here's my hands. Here's my feet. I'll go where you tell me to go. I'll encounter who you have me encounter. I'll say what you asked me to say. I'll, uh, I'm just literally walking in step with the spirit day by day. Again, this present attunement with God at all times so that you just unfold what this meaning looks like. Maybe it's power of testimony. Maybe it's a conversation. Maybe I'm serving someone, loving someone. It maybe it's the vocational work that I do nine to five, but it's so much bigger than that. It's truly a life calling it no matter whether you're employed or not you're still going to be someone who ministers from your your uh gifting and from god's resurrection power in your life wow it's powerful like you said just being able to step into the calling that god has placed upon your life and understand that sometimes it's the pain and it's the adversity that prepares us for that calling and for that identity that he's really trying to have entrusted us with rebecca another um the last one that you dive into is probably one of my favorites because as a counselor this is what i love doing is enduring together i believe that god loves using people as conduits through which he channels his messages of hope encouragement grace forgiveness forgiveness and love into a broken and hurting people. So for you, Rebecca, can you just speak to the importance of relationships and how pivotal they are in this resilience journey? Yeah, I follow the make meaning calling. Um, that was more a little bit of a, like, we all have unique expressions of our calling, but let's be honest, the call is a very much a corporate call to the church at large, like that we're one body, many parts. Yeah. And we are all going to endure with resilience together. It's never meant, we were never meant to be the people of God as the person of God yeah. in isolation, <laughs> right? That's why COVID was actually so hard yes. because we were isolated and alienated and sent home. And we are actually always supposed to be in communion with one another because we mirror the Father, the Trinity, right? The, that we are a communal people made by a communal God. So when we are living out the Imago Day in us, we are are always in communion with others doing that. Uh, just by ourselves, we're like this, you know, it's just like a talking head, but you need the whole body and all the parts of the body so that you can actually fulfill the fullness of what God's called you to. So this idea of enduring together follows meaning because it's not you, Zach, just doing what God's asked you to do. Right. It's you doing it 
doing what you love with the people that you love, with the people that he's entrusted you to, that he's brought around you. And so I believe that God very much calls us into something by going before us, calling us towards where he's going, and then bringing people around. Mm. And he brings us around them. He brings them around us. This is not my story and my movie and everyone's a character. No, we're actually all in God's story. And we all get to actually take part in the roles that he's entrusted to for each of us to steward. And so I see this enduring together so much about stewardship, whether it's enduring together with my husband, right? We're 27 almost years in. And how do we steward that well? How have we, where have we failed one another, right? Where have we honored one another? Where have we pushed and sharpened one another? That's stewardship, right? Parenting, God gives us a window of time to have these tiny humans that grow up into adults that hopefully launch and stay launched. And, and that is very much related to my stewardship, my ability to stay fully present when they're young and also stay fully present when I launch them and, and cheer them on and champion them. All of that is a, is a, is a level of stewardship and also with my emotions, right? Mm. Stewarding my emotions with the people that God's entrusted me to not reacting or if I am reacting in a way that's unkind or triggered, then they're just a mirror of what, what unwell in me. And so God even uses us being together to show us the places of wounding that still need to heal. All trauma happens in relationship. All healing happens in relationship. Mm. And you actually can't experience healing without being with people. You can have the best therapist in the world and hang out on the couch by yourself for a whole year. But if you don't go back out into your everyday life and have those honest conversations of revelation that, that are coming up in therapy, then you're not actually healing. You're just theorizing. And this idea here is that mental health is not a theory. It's a practice. And there is no better place to practice than with the people that God puts right in front of you every single day. That's so good. Being a good steward of what or who God has entrusted you to. We were made for relationship. Rebecca, I could chat with you all day about these topics on resilience because I love this conversation. But as we come to a close, something I always love to do here on the podcast is just ask our guest um, just to share a pressing word that God has placed on their heart for such a time as this. So who I want you to speak to is maybe the person out there today who's going through the ringer. They're in a really painful situation, a lot of adversity. They feel deflated, maybe even to the point of feeling defeated. What's the final word God's placed on your heart for such a time as this to spark some hope, encouragement, and motivation in their life? Well, I would just say get a quiet moment today in nature if you can get outside and just go to the source. Like I can have all the words in the world, but I, I know the Lord, if you're lost right now or you're confused or life feels hard and dark, uh, the source, God himself has something he wants to tell you. And so I would just encourage you to go outside and get quiet. Just say, Lord, what is it you want me to know? What is it you want? What is it that you want me to see? And how can I be more in tune with you every moment? And maybe just keep it to those three questions. I, when I'm confused, I always go back to the Lord on a walk in the woods. What is it that you want me to know? Is there something I'm missing? Right? Cause the chaos and the confusion is not from the Lord. Um, that is for sure from the enemy. So God, what is it that you want me to know? And then one thing, uh, another way you could even ask it is how do you see me? Mm. What do you see? in me. And God will speak truth over you. He will give you revelation over who, how he calls you by name and what he's appointed you for. And 
I believe that he'll show up if you, if you ask those questions and you leave room for him to respond. And when I say hearing from God, I'm not talking an audible voice, but what I am saying is like the Holy Spirit himself will prompt you with a thought, a word, a memory, a song, a phrase, or a person. And I just pay attention to what that is. And then have a little more active listening when you pray, when you leave these questions before the Lord, because there are things sometimes we just don't slow down long enough to take notice of. And he really wants to show and reveal himself to us as our good father. Go plug into the source because hope is found in His presence. Rebecca Lyons, you are a blessing to the church. You are a blessing to all of us here at the American Association of Christian Counselors. Thank you for all that you do, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Zach. It's a pleasure. Anytime. You guys, as we close, I just wanted to encourage you all to get more involved with all that Rebecca is doing. If you go to RebeccaLyons.com, you'll be able to find some incredibly beneficial resources such as links to purchase all of her books, the Rhythms for Life podcast, opportunities to attend Rhythms retreats hosted by Rebecca and her husband Gabe, as well as free resources such as a 10-day video study on rest, a six-week video study on freedom, a three-week study on confidence, a 10-day study on strength, tips for mental health, and so much much more. Also, my friends, if you're interested in bringing Rebecca in to share at your next event, you can book her through a link found on her website as well. Again, all you have to do is go to RebeccaLyons.com and that website will be in today's show notes as well. My friends, as we close, I hope and pray you are encouraged and challenged following today's conversation to go live love and lead differently. Remember these two final truths. 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9 say, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. In Isaiah 40, 31, which says, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. My friends, remember, when our mind is set on Christ... We will have joy in times of trouble. In Christ, we will find our peace and comfort and rest, for we know that our hardships in this life are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Even when you can't track his steps, friends, trust that God is working on your behalf. As always, my friends, thank you so much for joining us for today's conversation with the incredible Rebecca Lyons. We love being a part of your life. And as always, we pray you'll join us right back here next time on the Built Different Podcast. Mm -hmm.